one more matchup tonight after that exciting barn burner of a pairing uh, that went an unexpected way. That's got my adrenaline pumping. This one, um, this is going to be a weird matchup, I gotta admit. We're in the old school section of our tournament, which of course are just films that are prototypical slashers. They're not deconstructing it. They're not particularly bizarre or weird in any meaningful way. These are sort of the bedrock of what we associate with slasher films. The sixth seed in this bracket is Peeping Tom, which is very much the absolute starting line of slasher films because it came out in 1960, and it's going up against Pieces, an early 80s entry of much less acclaim and esteem, which is the 11th seed. Vic, why don't you tell us about one of your personal favorites, Peeping Tom. This is great. I love that you were like, there's nothing weird about these movies. Let's talk about Peeping Tom. <laughs> so <laughs> Peeping Tom came out, in, as you mentioned, in 1960. It was directed by Michael Powell. And the logline is that uh, creepy German weirdo Mark murders women and records it on camera in an effort to capture the essence of fear on film. But he's forced to reconsider this raison d'etre when he begins a relationship with a literal girl next door. It's basically maniac with cameras instead of mannequins. British director Michael Powell was a prolific, respected, Oscar-nominated filmmaker when this came out. And it was savaged by the press to such a degree that it basically destroyed his career. One critic said, the only really satisfactory way to dispose of Peeping Tom would be to shovel it up and flush it swiftly down the nearest sewer. And a particularly xenophobic critic noted that the film was more nauseating and depressing than the leper colonies of East Pakistan, the back streets of Bombay, and the gutters of Calcutta. Can I interject really quickly that I think uh, as a does filmmaker... It to, does it have to do with a Netflix show that was already canceled, John? <laughs> Trust me. Addison Timlin. It was Timlin. a Crackle show, babe. It was, yeah. a, it was on Crackle, <laughs> not Netflix. Edie Gathigi, guys. Edie Gathigi. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I think one of the... Just, like, just to interject, one of the great takeaways of movies are that you're doing something wrong if critics don't like become alarmed by you i love that the one thing that a lot of these movies have in common is just the the outrage and the vitriol i mean that tells me that you're giving people something that they can't handle which is probably a good mandate certainly for horror but i think for movies in general that 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 shock them and challenge their assumptions of what should be shared with the world. And I, I actually think that that kind of review is becoming in our in our tournaments um, a sign of a movie that is smacking people in the face. And that's what I think movies should do. At least, again, if we're talk talking about genre films, transgressive films, films that are not just giving you another fucking romantic comedy or whatever the case may be. Look, John, you don't have to keep taking shots at Scream just because it got good reviews. It's out of the tournament, okay? It's over. <laughs> Dude, right. I, I'm not wasting another thought about Scream, and it feels so good. 
I've spent so long trying to make you miserable that I don't know how to react to the fact that I've done this thing that's made you happy. Like it's like I'm 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 speechless. It's throwing off all my mojo. Vic, this is back on different pages. Vic, this this podcast is like the John Vic love fest, and frankly, it's it's disturbing to me as well. It's deeply unsettling. Yeah, I I don't understand. Like we need a Thanos to like join join up against. Otherwise. We're gonna quickly turn against each other again because I think Rich. No, no. I think Rich needs to take a heel turn. Yeah, that's how that's how this gets fixed. Yep, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if I hate either of these movies enough to to take a heel turn. <laughs> but I'll try for for you for you, Vic. I'll try. Thank you. We have to save the podcast dynamic. Come on, one way or another. <laughs> All right, let's get back hey. on track. Back on track. So then a funny thing happened, right? After all these scathing reviews, it picked up a cult following. It gradually became reassessed. And by the 70s, no less than Martin Scorsese said of Peeping Tom, I have always felt that Peeping Tom and Eight and a Half say everything that can be said about filmmaking. Eight and a Half captures the glamour and enjoyment of filmmaking, while Peeping Tom shows the aggression of it. How the camera violates. The British Film Institute named it the 78th best British film ever. Time Out magazine ranked it 27th. It's in Roger Ebert's first collection of the great movies essays. It's probably the most stunning 180 in terms of a critical reappraisal of a film ever. Now, of course, the actual movie is somewhere in the middle. But I certainly lean closer to Ebert and Scorsese. There's a lot to like here. It's light on real gore, although the final death is pretty shocking. But it's very akin to the giallos in terms of tone, lighting and color, the European locales. It's just wedded to a character study like Maniac or Psycho, which interestingly, Psycho and Peeping Tom are released within months of each other. And it really embraces the voyeuristic subtext that we get from a lot of Hitchcock films, not just Psycho, but also Rear Window and Vertigo. In his great movie's essay, Ebert writes, the film's visual strategies implicate the audience in Mark's voyeurism. The strategy is basically to always suggest that we are not just seeing, but looking. We cannot laugh and keep our distance. We are forced to acknowledge that we watch, horrified, but fascinated. Other movies let us enjoy the voyeurism. This one exacts a price. I think the performances are very good, especially Carl Bohem as Mark and, and Anna Massey as Helen, truly one of the progenitors of the bright and sympathetic final girl. And Maxine Audley as Helen's blind mother just crushes this scene where she confronts Mark, even though she can't see these horrific films that are playing in the background she can see him for who he really is. That and, believe it or not, a dance number with a potential victim are easily my two favorite uh, scenes in the film. I'm really just touching on a few things. There's so much to unpack here. I'll just mention two little podcast-adjacent points. The film is referenced by, ready for it, Ghostface in Wes Craven's Scream 4 as being the first film to, quote, put the audience in the killer's POV and... You will both note, in Halloween Resurrection, Michael Myers uses a spiky end of a tripod to stab Charlie in the throat, just like Mark does in this film. Yes, he does. 
A, a name check in Halloween Resurrection is probably one of the most preeminent forms of uh, cultural approval that one could receive. <laughs> scream, scream, and Halloween Resurrection, John. Scream four. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. In all seriousness, very valid points, and I I agree with them. I am curious, Rich. I don't think. Going into this tournament, you had much appreciation for this film. Did you watch it again? Where do you stand now? I did watch it again. And I will say that I thought that, Vic, your presentation was very well researched and articulated. And I think you're right. This is a very strong movie that I really enjoyed. If only it were a slasher movie, then it would have (laughs) a great place in this conversation but I just, you know, like, I know that this is a negligible fact, but like, we've spent a lot of time talking about what a slasher movie is. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is definitely much more aligned with like a serial killer film. I think Maniac is a very interesting comparison because Maniac is also doing the same thing where it's like, it's not a whodunit. You know, even like the Giallo films or like, as we were discussing earlier, like all of these movies are always like a whodunit. There's a mass killer who's going around killing people, picking them off one by one. In this case, like there's not even much picking off one by one really at the end of the day. And the killer's identity is no mystery. He's our protagonist. Like he's the guy that we're, that we're following around for the entire thing. And the layer of psychosis that I think maniac uses to get by as this transition into the slasher category, plus just like the sheer, grimy 80s quality and quantity of the of the deaths and the way that they're used as like the the real set pieces of the film i think allow that film to kind of like you know kind of cheat its way into the into the subgenre as it's as it were i don't feel like people tom gets there i'm willing to cut it some slack because of like when it was made and we can continue to have that discussion but that's my that's my biggest uh, knock against it. I mean, other than that, like it certainly is something that kind of fits into that Hitchcockian mold of troubled loners and and it really like bridging into genuinely like dangerous psychosis. And so uh, I thought it was a great execution of it. And I thought that the performances were super strong and the character work in it is is really sharp. And I'm with you. I love the relationship between him and the him and the girl. There is a lot to, to like about this film. So I'd like to unpack it a little bit more, especially in the context of the who it's competing against. We're all in a, weirdly in agreement on a lot of things. I think both of you touched on the movie's strengths for me. And I think that what makes it a slasher, Rich, is that we literalize the concept of the killer's POV in this movie. Because usually the camera is pretending to be the killer's eyes in these kinds of shots. In Peeping Tom, the camera is pretending to be the killer's camera, not his eyes. With the reticule crosshatch lines conceit that they superimpose over the frame, we are sharing the killer's perspective of the camera's viewfinder, which is as much an illusion as a camera lens sharing the perspective of his eyes would be, which is what we normally get in slasher movies. And yet it poses very different questions for the viewer to consider, which I find very interesting. He is seeing things from the remove of a camera lens, the same thing, the same way that the audience is. I think that's very different from sharing the perspective of Jason or Michael's 
naked eye. He is distanced from what is in front of him in the same way that we are. And in a weird way, that brings us closer to the narrative than normal. Because in the manner of a found footage movie, it may fool us into believing that we are viewing unvarnished reality through the lens of the camera. We're both self-consciously aware of our distance and strangely given a position of greater immediacy to the action because we're the camera operator capturing the very footage that we're watching. I was fascinated by that, and unfortunately, it's really only in the early parts of the movie. I, I actually wish that it did more with this because it really caught my attention, but then is largely dropped. And to touch on something that I think you both said, in a strange way, I, I believe this is one of the more genuinely romantic movies that we've covered so far for this tournament. There's a tragic quality to the Mark and Helen relationship. It feels like she's so close to saving him from himself. But apparently they met just days too late because he's set an irrevocable chain of events in motion. There's no implication that there were any meaningful number of murders to precede what we see in the film because the police jump all over the first case without reference to others in the past. And Mark and Helen have lived in the same building for how long now? years. I guess it took her birthday party for them to meet. Anyway, I like their dynamic very much, and I thought it was sad and tragic and romantic. However, this was one where it was easy for me to check my phone or grab snacks or whatever without pausing it, especially the second viewing. It didn't really uh, sustain my attention all the way, every minute. And agreeing with Rich, I don't think it truly functions as a slasher. This movie is vastly less visceral than, than Psycho, which, of course, as we've said, came out the same year. For what it's worth, I don't really even see why it's called Peeping Tom, either. Maybe Vic can explain this, but the killer is not a textbook peeper, though there are a couple of moments that suggest he would peep, or maybe he has before. Let's just say... I don't think the movie is really about a peeping Tom. It's also strange that he works in the pornography business. Of all the people I wouldn't think would need to be a peeping Tom, this guy would be one of them. His job shows him everything that a peeping Tom would ever hope to see. So maybe I'm, I'm figuring out along the way that it's not literal when they call him a peeping Tom. He's metaphorically a peeping Tom because of how removed his viewpoint of sexuality and perhaps women in general will always be. I don't know. Long story short, Psycho is a very weirdly modern movie for coming out in 1960, especially if you stack it up frame by frame against this one. Psycho seems really ahead of its time. And it's more of a template for the slasher genre than Peeping Tom. This movie, from its score to its its very like old-school score, not that Psycho has a modern score per se, but a timeless score. In any event, this movie has very chaste elements, other characteristics, avoiding bloodshed. It's just more old-fashioned, even though it does explore some transgressive elements, at least for its era. I like the movie, definitely, but I think it's more of a historical artifact 
than a cinematic experience I really need to revisit in the context of this tournament. Guys, the reason this is a slasher is that Millie's nude scene is the first full frontal nudity in a British film. Okay. Um, there's full frontal nudity? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm joking. I'm oh, joking. okay. I was like, what? Did I miss that? I, I, appreciate, I, I appreciate how deeply uh, considered John took that. I was really like, really? <laughs> he was like, huh, all right, well, that, that does change things. <laughs> they, put, they put naked shit on camera. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I actually, was open to I the argument. One of my favorite bits in the movie. So, Peeping, uh, uh, peeping Tom is known in the uh, uh, psychological terms as scopophilia, which he has a conversation with a psychiatrist because that's it's basically the idea that you're getting sexual pleasure from looking at prurient objects of eroticism. Right. And so he finds something erotic about people in these moments of their death. And so that's why he considers himself a peeping Tom. And so he has this conversation with a psychiatrist where he's like, listen, he doesn't say this, but I've met this girl. I'd like to get better. Like, what can I do about scopophilia? And the, and the, the, the psychiatrist is like, oh, no problem. We totally have a cure for it. It's just years of psychotherapy. <laughs> and he's like, oh. Well, I'm not going to do that. Wait, is this the director's cut? I don't understand. What are you referring to? Like, so they bring in the psychiatrist. They bring in the psychiatrist to the film set. Oh, the film set. He has the conversation with the psychiatrist. He's like, "Did you know my father?" And the guy says, "Yes." Oh, my father was researching scopophilia. And then he says, oh, yeah, no, we have a cure for it. And he, he, you could see that he's, like, excited. Oh, my God, what's the what's the cure? I can be fixed? You know, and he's like, yeah, years of years of psychotherapy. And he's like, mm. oh, well, I'm, like, but yeah. I just love the idea that, like, he wants to better himself for this girl. But it's just a lot of work. <laughs> I, I, I even felt like he might have been up for that. It was just that he had just killed two people and the noose was tightening too quickly, which I, I think is fine. That was a good scene. It's a good movie. But uh, quickly, let's let's talk about Pieces, uh, which is almost the exact same film. No, no, no it's not. <laughs> Directed by Spanish filmmaker Juan Picor Simon, who is best known otherwise for 1988's Slugs. I don't think I've seen it, but I want to, and I remember uh, flipping through the novelization in a used bookstore when I was a kid. Anyway, Pieces uh, was released in 1982. The IMDb synopsis is the co-eds of a Boston College campus are targeted by a mysterious killer who is creating a human jigsaw puzzle from their body parts. The film stars someone familiar to fans of Italian horror classics of the 80s, Christopher George, as well as his wife, Linda Day George, Edmund Purdom, and the one-of-a-kind Paul L. Smith, best known for playing Bluto opposite Robin Williams in Robert Altman's Popeye or Beast Rabon in David Lynch's Dune. Somehow, this movie is sandwiched right between those two performances. It's a co-production between Spain, the U.S., and Puerto Rico, 
Pieces was filmed largely in Spain with exterior shots in Boston, which is where the film is set. Film scholar Ian Conrich notes in his book Horror Zone, The Cultural Experience of Contemporary Horror Cinema, Pieces has an almost self-reflexive awareness of its status as an exploitation film. I agree with that. That's why I included it. He summarizes the film as a hybrid amalgamation of body horror films, the pioneering splatter films of Herschel Gordon Lewis, which I included for Rich, and the Italian giallo, which I definitely see. He also criticizes the film for having a transparently misogynistic narrative and resembling the aesthetics of pornography, featuring scenarios similar to those found in contemporaneous adult films. Kevin Thomas, the film critic of the Los Angeles Times, gave the film a negative review, writing, Pieces is a wretched, stupid little picture whose sole purpose is the exploitation of extreme violence against women. And he further criticized it for being poorly dubbed and lacking suspense. However, this retrospective review nails it for me. Alex McLevy of the AV Club wrote that the film's narrative is pedestrian as hell, but damn, the execution. The movie manages to luck into that ideal combination of over-the-top bloodshed, gratuitous nudity of both male and female types, though the latter is, as expected, the main stage show, and unintentional absurdity for which enthusiasts of the genre are perpetually on the hunt. By yet another strange coincidence, I believe I watched Peeping Tom in Pieces on the same weekend or even the same day when we were all first trolling for slasher movies to include in this tournament. Many, many months before the night of this recording. And somehow, not only were they paired up right here tonight, my second viewing of each came in the same weekend. And yes, the films have little in common. Pieces is a giddily stupid film that's hard not to like if you still enjoy retro slasher movies and don't feel the need to be offended by dopey TNA splatter. I guess one day we'll all have to sternly and humorlessly shake our shame fingers at stuff like this. But my hope is that we'll become evolved enough, safe and secure enough, to laugh at it without excessive self-flagellation, or in the Orwellian nightmare scenario, enduring our flagellation by others. In any event, I can't say that this is more than a so-bad-it's-good, guilty-pleasure kind of a film, but it is doing a reasonable Hitchcock impression in its stalk-and-kill sequences, and it's batshit nuts. Oddly enough, the running time focuses more on the chummy esprit de corps between the good guys than the pathology of the killer, beyond the fact that this movie does have a lot of kills. And while they're dumb kills, they tend to be fairly dynamic in their staging and their choreography. Their impact on the shock meter escalates steadily. The whodunit mystery plotline is one of the more ludicrous in the genre, if not cinema history, but the main actors are all game and reasonably professional, at least for this kind of movie. What's more, we get not one, but two shock endings. The last one being a total reality-warping mind-bender that doesn't make a lick of sense, 
but hits a gentleman seven on the carry scale of shock endings. We also get the sneering, eternally suspicious Paul L. Smith as Willard, the groundskeeper, who is back on the job a day or two after going three rounds with multiple Boston police officers due to insufficient evidence. One of many howlers on the implausibility spectrum and not even an extreme example for this film. Long story short, if you need to look down your nose at this movie, fine, but it's one of the more strikingly unique and memorable slashers in the pantheon, if admittedly far, far from the best. John, I'm going to shock you by saying I agree 100%. My first time watching this, I went to the New Beverly, which if you don't know, if you're not from Los Angeles is basically like a grindhouse cinema and they just show lots of old movies and they show movies like pieces. I saw it on a double feature with a movie called Nightmare from 1981. I remember nothing about Nightmare. I remember everything about pieces. It was, and that was just the, the perfect environment to see it in. Everybody was laughing. Everybody had a great time. There's this, to me, the highlight of the movie is there is a random scene where an Asian person jumps into the scene and like has a karate battle with an <laughs> undercover police officer, and the guy and then and then the, the the other kid is standing there and he's like, oh, it's that's just my kung fu instructor, and he's like, oh, hey, sorry, it's the most random thing I I howled with laughter. Even watching it by myself, I have with laughter. I learned later, I think, I can't I can't verify where I heard this. The financier was making a martial arts movie and just wanted this guy to have some screen time in something else. And so they, they just wrote this random scene into this movie. It's fantastic. I also noted, and I did not do enough homework to confirm this, so now I'm feeling either very smart or very dumb. The gardener looks like someone told Bluto from Popeye to look as suspicious as possible in every scene. It's the second funniest part of the movie after the karate instructor. Well, it is Bluto. Didn't I say that? It is. That's what I mean. It Mm -hmm. is Bluto. I had no idea, but that's exactly what it looks like. His performance is so laughably bad that it's hysterical. Well, the character that you mentioned is Bruce L.E., you know, there were a bunch. There were a bunch of uh, Bruce Lee uh, imitators, and he he was one of them. And you know, like multiple of them had not one, not two, but three to five movies. And and he's one of them. Like if you click on his name, he's uncredited apparently, but he has like a bunch of Bruce movies that he's known for. And that, that obviously was was the deal. Yeah, that scene is just one of the, the most jaw-droppingly ludicrous, out-of-nowhere, worthless, non-narrative-advancing scenes that I can think of in my life. It just amuses the shit out of me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a non-sequitur yeah. in the middle of all of this. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. marvelous. <laughs> all right. you, never, you never make something that funny on purpose. No, exactly, which is so much so often the case in in movies. I just feel like yeah, this is the kind of movie that 
drilling down into the details of the film would be hilarious and somewhat nutritional podcasting because the movie, it truly combines the sublime and the ridiculous. You know, not that it achieves any great heights of filmmaking, but it has some pretty effective scenes like the slow motion waterbed stabbing is pretty interesting visually, just for an example. But at the same time, like it's comical. We could talk about the involvement of the big man on campus and his whole storyline for a while. It's just so silly. And the tennis in this film is oh an God. abomination. Yeah. <laughs> the tennis is awful. That was like that was one of the notes that I had. It's the worst like, sports on film since yeah. Teen Wolf. It really like, is. <laughs> they're they're not even they're not even serving from behind the line. Yeah. They repeat the same shots over and over again. There's not there's not a single believable tennis shot in this. And we're supposed to believe that this character is like an ex tennis pro. It's yes. oh. <laughs> Even to the layman, it's embarrassingly wrong. It's it's just awful. Yeah, (laughs) but in the but in the best possible way. Like I said, this is like this is the kind of shit that Snakes on a Plane was trying to do on purpose. And like you can't do this on purpose. This is as we've said before. This is lightning in a bottle. Like it just it's everything is the perfect like midnight movie hanging out drunk with your friends. Yes. Uh, You will have a marvelous time with this movie. Well, I think that I'm trying to introduce for our next round the concept of how does it score on the pizza and beer with your friends test, which I do think is relevant. And yeah, I think this movie would have a puncher's chance in that category because it's just jaw-dropping in so many scenes the level of insanity and weirdness of this film culturally and artistically. And it really is a movie that defines so bad it's good while at the same time, like not being a, the room or birdemic. I mean, like technically it's fine. It's just like tone and, and story and, its perspective are just so out of touch with reality that it makes it uh, ludicrous. Paul L. Smith, like his sneering and his squinty eyes, it's just so overplayed. That's really funny too. What is there to say about pieces that hasn't already been said or (laughs) needs to be said? Who needs to hear any more about pieces? This movie was fine i i agree like this is the this is the kind of film that's certainly back in the day i actually hadn't seen this one before um had i seen this back in the day in the 80s or 90s and i was looking for this real sort of like grindhouse experience i'd say this this fits the bill pretty nicely but at the same time like i would also say that it 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 neither has like the the entertaining 
tension that Halloween, something that is is so clearly aping for for much of its its structure, um, you know, like has nor does it have the legitimate jaw dropping schlock value of something like Blood Feast. Um, although admittedly, it is a still a slightly more entertaining watch than Blood Feast, at least in an isolated state. It's full of just like dumb, like absolutely dumb uh, procedural moments in it. Like there's nothing that, that's actually carrying you through the the story from from the, you know, the, the subplot about the undercover tennis coach. I was really struck by the scene where there is a, a medical professor and they're just they're just like, why don't you step in and be a coroner? And it's like, what is it with the Europeans in this idea that like any journalist or professor that happens to be nearby can just get pulled into your police work and start doing things like an autopsy on people? But of course, you know, it's, it was obvious to a layman that that woman was cut apart with a chainsaw. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was actually fucking hilarious to me. It's <laughs> like the chainsaw is sitting there and they're like, so what do you think? What do you think happened here? <laughs> Just crack me up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like th- this movie is this movie is stupid. Yeah. Um, but like it, it was, it, it was fine. I, I think you guys, you guys summed it up nicely. I didn't, I didn't hate this movie, but the, I also wouldn't say there's a whole lot to like love in this movie. With, with all due respect, and none of this has to do with, uh, with a the nudie whatever whatsoever. I do think that this movie has the hottest like ensemble cast. Like just like across the board, I will mm-hmm. say like this is a they they really found like a beautiful group of people and like honestly from a from a technical casting point of view that is no small feat especially for something on a on a budget like this. Um, so kudos yes. to them. Um, it was a lovely and charming cast. And yeah, that is, that is noted for the upcoming Stabby Awards. Uh, Red. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there were several women in this movie that looked like, you know, Jennifer Lawrence or Jennifer Connelly or, you know, like, yeah, there were a lot of really, really attractive women in this movie, if if, if that's what we're getting at. It's time to vote Pieces or Peeping Tom. And, uh, you know, this is a really weird matchup because I, I just said I don't want to watch Peeping Tom again. And I was bored by it, but Pieces is not exactly an Academy Award winner, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna again lay back in the weeds if I can. Vic, uh, you introduced Peeping Tom. Are you gonna turn on Peeping Tom, or are you gonna vote for it? John, I'm voting for the town that dreaded sundown. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um. No, I am, I am voting for uh, Peeping Tom. Due respect to Pieces. It is, again, under the, under the right circumstances, uh, in a non-pandemic setting, when you can get together with friends, this is the ideal movie to just uh, sit around and watch and laugh at and, and get high and drink and eat nachos. So okay. do, do that. Well, do that. But don't don't do it and then analyze it on a podcast. Fair, very, very fair. But uh, just to make it interesting and put some pressure on our buddy Rich, I'm gonna just I'm gonna go with pieces, and I'm not gonna rationalize it or justify it at all. So, uh, Rich, why don't you go ahead and, and decide it? <laughs> <laughs> because you can't, John. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it did, you, yeah. Literally, that was your spiteful vote, and I understand. And I no, not that. not entirely. It's just I I really, as much as I respect Peeping Tom way more than I do pieces, I have more fun watching pieces, and so even though I don't really need to see it again, I'm just gonna say, you know, it 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 makes me laugh, so I'm gonna go with that. I mean, look, I wasn't shy about pointing out that I do not think that Peeping Tom is a slasher film. And ultimately, that is what we are here to do. Now, you might be able to convince me, and I, I'm not saying you've done it yet. You might be able to convince me that Peeping Tom is a slasher film. But you will never convince me that Pieces is a good movie. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. And I'm not so going to try. I'm not going to try. <laughs> uh, nor will you get the chance because I am going to vote for Peeping Tom. Okay. All right. Well, guys, guys I nominate that we do someday when we have uh, uh, some sort of addendum podcast. Uh, possibly under some sort of uh, uh, paywall, let's say. Um, <laughs> I would love, I would love to do just a pieces deep dive with you guys because yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun. We do a live watch, right, where we watch it while we're while we're talking about it. Holy shit, that would be amazing. I think we have two like great contenders for that initiative. One of which is the Amityville Horror, and pieces would be another one. Yes, I think that would be fun for everyone involved. So, yeah, we'll keep that in mind. Meanwhile, let's continue with our tournament. I'm not going to, you know, cry about it because I obviously Peeping Tom is a better movie. So, let me tell you what's up next on March Madman. Terrifier versus Malignant in the Dark Horse category. That's going to be a great conversation. The old school bracket has Sleepaway Camp facing off against Hell Knight. And in the meta division, Final Destination will test its mettle against the Furies. Until then, always use the buddies system when you're hanging out on a deserted college campus. Don't take an interest in the work of the shy but intense Shutterbug who owns your apartment building. Avoid Lover's Lane in Texarkana, and for God's sake, if a creepy voice calls you up asking what your favorite scary movie is, just hang up and dial 911. Adios! Gentlemen, well done. Rich, we got you out of here before 1130. Excellent. I, I am impressed. Me too. I don't know how we did it. 